Thank you, Duncan. Uh, wasn't that a great story? It's really awesome. And I, I really appreciated that they didn't sort of say, and Esther took a weed, and then it was all dealt with. Because we all know that's not how life works, is it? There are days when things are difficult, and there are days when we struggle. And um, that's a little bit about what I'm going to be talking about today. So, uh, as Duncan said, my name's Owen. If you don't know me, I'm the youth worker here. Uh, and it's a great privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. We're currently going through a book of 1 Corinthians. We're spending a year in Corinth uh, looking at holy living in Sin City. And so I'm uh, really pleased to be able to continue this series with you. At the very start, Sai spoke on God's wisdom and our foolishness and what that means when we look at when we think we're wise. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, Rob and Tom have looked at a couple of weeks on unity as a church, something that the Corinthians lacked greatly as they looked for leaders to prestige. Some saying, I follow Apollos, who was an eloquent preacher. Some saying, I follow Paul. And some saying, I follow Christ. And Paul berates them all, because all they're doing is trying to one-up one another and create disunity. And that brings us to this week and 1 Corinthians 4. So I'm just going to read that for you. The text should appear on the screen. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, us being Paul and Apollos. Moreover, it is, regard, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am, there, I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring the light to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another. For who, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Already you have become all you want. Already you have all you want, sorry. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hunger and we thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, 
but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. What do you wish? I've got mood lighting. Um, what do you wish? Shall I become with you? Shall I come with you with a rod or in love and with spirit of gentleness? A long passage, but we're going to unpick that a little bit as we go. So last week, uh, Rob was uh, speaking and he spoke a little bit at the very start on art appreciation. Um, and as he spoke, it brought back a memory to me, one I hadn't thought of of a while actually, of when I was about 15, 16 at the Towner Gallery in Eastbourne. Now, my dad loves galleries, and so as a family, we went down and looked through the different exhibitions. Um, now, it might be, as Rob was speaking last, last week, you, as I, um, were thinking, now, Rob sounds like a guy who is able to unpack layers in art. He sounds like he understands it. And I know most of us, we don't understand it. We just sort of look at it and go, oh, it's a painting. Nice. Now, I'm not so gifted in that area, but I do have one key characteristic of the art connoisseur. Some may call it confidence, other may call it bluster, other may call it talking out of my behind, but I have that in spades. And so what I did when we were walking down the Towner Gallery through the exhibitions was look at the painting and make things up. I would look at it and I would say eloquent things about the brushwork and the artist who I didn't know anything about. And I would make things up and it was very funny and we all had a laugh. So for instance, as an example, you take this sort of charcoal drawing of a lake, and I might say something like, what is charcoal but the same wood that the artist is showing us? Clearly, the artist is meaning us to show us the dark and twisted nature of our fallen world that we live in, using the burnt carcass to reflect the beauty of its former life, which is akin to boiling a goat in its mother's milk as it talks in Exodus. And, of course, you know, it was funny, but it meant nothing, and I'm sure there were people around who thought I was an absolute fool. Um, but it was good fun. Well, why am I telling you this story? Well, what I was doing that day was an appearance. I was showing off. I had nothing really to give. I had nothing really to explain about the art. It was all bluster. And that is the position of the Corinthians as Paul writes this letter to them. Paul speaks a few times of, of arrogance, the puffing up that has happened amongst the believers in Corinth. So on the back of speaking of unity, he then pushes this topic of submission and servanthood forward. So I'm just going to unpack this a little bit through the next sort of 15, 20 minutes. When approaching this topic, I, I really struggled in terms of how I would approach it, uh, whether I took it as a theme and, and sort of split that down or went verse by verse. But I was, uh, as I was praying and chatting it through with Catherine, I, I really sort of got this flow chart almost that came to mind, uh, which I'd like to just go through with you now. Number one, Paul is a servant and a steward. Number two, Paul says that stewards must be faithful. Number three, we are called to be imitators. Number four, if we're called to be imitators, what does it look like to be faithful? And then question number five, I suppose the big one, are we faithful stewards and servants? So let's start. Paul is a servant and a steward. From the beginning of this passage, Paul sets out the nature and structure of leadership in the kingdom of God, the nature and structure of the church. Remember, he's speaking into a church that is set upon prestige and who they are following. 
Some commentators suggest that what Paul is writing is limited to the leadership of the church, but the majority of the scholars say actually Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't make that clear. Throughout this time, he speaks to the whole church unless he's speaking to a specific person. And the first thing he lays out are these two roles that apostles and teachers hold of servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, servant and stewards have slightly different roles, but they're linked. A servant is one who submits to the master. They take order from the head of the house, in this situation, Christ, and seek to serve Christ and his church. Servants are answerable to their master, and they are owned by their master. Stewards, on the other hand, have a slightly different role in this position of oversight. So the word for stewards in the Greek is oikonomos, which comes from two words, oikos meaning house and nomos meaning law or custom. And when those two bring together, you get this word of sort of the stewards being the one who keep the law and custom of the house. I was trying to think of a a good way to explain it. Uh, Any Downton Abbey fans? Anyone? A few people, a few people. Okay. We got into the first few series and I sort of gave up after the third series. Anyone who watched that third series Christmas special knows what I'm talking about. Um, I won't ruin it. If you, if you haven't, you may not be a Downton Abbey fan. But the way that I saw it in terms of, you get Lord Grantham, who is um, the boss. He's the Lord of the Manor. He's a bit like sort of Christ in this situation. And then you get Carson and Mrs. Hughes, who are the housekeeper and the butler. And so they're a bit like Paul and the apostles. And then you get the footman and the, the maids and It's like us, really, Um, the rest of us. So Carson and Mrs. Hughes, the apostles, the stewards, their role is to exercise authority over the servants so that the master's vision is brought, so that the mysteries of God are delivered. And what are the mysteries of God? Well, the mystery of God is who Christ is. It says in Colossians 2, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that is the case for elders and overseers. They are both servants and they are stewards. They serve the church and give all that they are to grow the church and submit themselves to Christ. But there is a role of oversight. And with that comes responsibility. Just as within Downton, if there's a problem below stairs, the Lord of the Manor would discipline the butler or the the housekeeper. The apostles and elders are held to account for problems within the flock. um, Next, the stewards must be faithful. A steward's role is to fulfill the vision of the master and be faithful to the wishes of the master, knowing that they answer to the master. But it also works both ways. Within stately homes, the Lord of the manor is the one who judges whether the butler is fulfilling his duties or not. It's not for a footman to judge the work of the butler openly to the master, although you sometimes see that in Downton, but it's not very, you know, it's fictional. And Paul shows this too. Faithfulness of a steward is judged by Christ, and only Christ. We also see, though, from Paul's writing that actually we are called to challenge in love. He doesn't mean that stewards are above reproach. 
This is obviously not the case. And there are methods within the Bible of challenging leaders in privacy and, and love. I'm not going to go into that now, but I think it's just something to raise. We sadly live in a world where leaders are not always above reproach and sometimes need to be challenged. The last two weeks of news sadly have shown us that more than anything. But Paul is clear. It is not the role of the servants to be constantly questioning the work of the steward. At the end of the day, it is God who will bring us to light. I don't know if that's a, it was something as I was praying through, I just felt God put on my heart. And I don't know if maybe that's put something in your heart as well. Maybe you, you often question what the leaders are doing. You don't trust what they're doing, that they know what's best for the church. I just want to say God has called them for a purpose. God has appointed them for a purpose, the leaders of this church. And actually, God will judge. God will bring what is right. Trust. That's the main thing. Trust that they have got a heart to see God move in this town. Because we have amazing elders. Next thing. Number three. We are called to be imitators. So you may be thinking, Owen, I'm not an apostle. I'm not an elder. You've spoken a lot about apostles and elders for the last little while. What does that mean for me? Well, Paul is really clear in verse 16. I urge you to be imitators of me. This is a call to the Corinthian church, the whole Corinthian church, summing up in many ways all that he's spoken about for the past few chapters. How do we grow and develop as disciples? Imitate Paul. Imitate stewards. And it's not just imitating Paul alone. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brother. He also says in verse 17, he sent Timothy as an example as well. That is our challenge today, Christchurch. To be seen as faithful servants by imitating faithful stewards. So what does it look like to be faithful? We're shown quite practically what it looks like and doesn't look like through this next section of Paul's writing, which is quite sarcastic and ironic um, in this rant that he gives to the Corinthians. I don't think I'm unfair to Paul in saying that. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles at last of, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are held in, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Heavy words indeed. I've put into a, a table all the things that Paul says what faithful stewards are like, by which I mean the apostles. Um, like men sentenced to death, a spectacle, persecuted but endure, slandered, hardworking. And on the other side, I've put all the things that he says about the Corinthians, that they are wise. And you've got to read it in some irony. And it's very clear from this passage that the apostles were not comfortably living individuals. They were not high up officials. They didn't live in splendor. They gave up everything for the building of the church of Christ, of spreading the gospel. And why? 
because there is another column, which I'm sure you've noticed, and that is Jesus. Faithful stewards are like men sentenced to death because they imitate one who was sentenced to death. They are a spectacle for the world because Jesus was shown for all to see on the cross. When reviled, they bless, because when he was reviled, he said, forgive them, Father, they do not know what they're doing. When persecuted, they endure. Jesus could have come down to that cross any time he wished, but he didn't. And they've become like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Philippians 2, 7 says, but he emptied himself, that's Jesus, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The NIV says he became nothing. Paul and his fellow apostles were called to imitate Christ in the most basic way, to remove the right to earthly possessions in favor of the freedom to go wherever God had called them, to live in a way that blessed even when reviled and mocked and scorned and imprisoned. So I just want to repeat what I said earlier. We are called to imitate Paul and the other apostles. We are called to imitate those who imitate Christ. The Apostle Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do not be surprised as if something strange is happening when we are scorned, when we are mocked, when we are persecuted. The Christian walk is not meant to be an easy life where you get everything you want on this earth. And it's very clear when we come to the future weeks of, living, of looking at 1 Corinthians that the church in Corinth haven't fully grasped this and aren't counting the cost and living that different life that Paul is speaking about. Now, at the start of this sermon, I was said about applying this to the nature and the structure of the kingdom of God. And you may have heard beforehand the phrase, the kingdom of God is upside down. And if you haven't, then what I mean by that is what is valued in the world here on earth is not what is valued in the kingdom of God. On this earth, we value power, prestige, and control. In the kingdom of God, there is value and worth to those who serve, submit, and are humble. And this is very clear in this passage. Leaders must be servants. Stewards are reviled. Jesus, the head of the church, was crucified on a Roman cross. To be first in the kingdom, you must be the last. So number five. Are we faithful stewards and servants? I keep putting um, those two up there. I'm just trying to remind you of the, the analogy. Um, it's not that I'm going to make a further point about like Mrs. Hughes and the kingdom of God. Don't worry. Do you put the gospel and the church before your own desires? Do you give up all of yourself to Christ? Your time, your devotions, your finances... At this moment, are you looking to the next gift day or the next holiday? 
when I was reflecting on the upside-down nature of the kingdom, it, it brought some things to mind that made me think about the Western church and how often we, we get the wrong focus. We say that we believe that God loves the humble and servant-hearted and those who aren't in it for the glory. But how often do we look to the persecuted church and think, what can we learn in terms of how we do church, how we do life? Or do we look to the persecuted church and go, oh, don't they wish that they could be us? When we look to follow the path of leaders or to gain wisdom, do we go to local church leaders who have invested us over years? Or do we go to mega churches and see what they're doing? Now, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with established churches, but what I'm saying is that Scripture is very clear. Imitate those who imitate Christ. Who did Jesus spend his time with? He spent time with the poor, the dejected, the sinful, the ill. Would Jesus have had a, the best-groomed Instagram account? You know, hashtag fed5,000, hashtag five loaves, two fishes, hashtag blessed. Would that have happened? No. Or does he look to those who are cleaning the floors, stacking the chairs? I've got two minutes to stop to pray for someone who really needs that conversation, even though you have a busy day, who are praying for their neighbors and their family. And we look to imitate Christ by looking out for godly men and women who we can imitate, looking for spiritual fathers and mothers. When Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, it's obvious that there is a need for fathers in that church. Paul says there are countless guides, but not many fathers. I just want to say two things before I finish. Firstly, the difference between a guide and a father. On a simple level, it seems very clear. A guide is someone who teaches and instructs you, and it's not the same as your father because... That's quite obvious. Biblically, the word that is used of um, a guide would be a slave who was a personal attendant to a young, rich boy who would have made sure that they went to school, studied hard, did all the things that the family expected of them. And they would answer to the boy's parents. But they weren't the boy's parents. And though we can't read our modern views of family into the Bible because that's wrong, there are some things that transcend time. The responsibility of a parent to bring a child up well. The duty of a parent to discipline and to love. The fact that what the child does either brings honor or shame onto their parent. Those things never change. Paul is clear that through the gospel, he became their father. He was responsible for their growth in the gospel. And as elders were elected, they too would have been fathers as well, spiritually inputting into the life of the church. And then secondly, Christchurch, we are not Corinth. Paul is saddened when he looks at the church that they don't have fathers. This is not the case for us. Within the church, there are men and women who are spiritual parents. And I'm sure that many of you can think of people in your lives who have been spiritual parents to you. We have elders who are recognized as spiritual fathers. They haven't been put as a title and then they suddenly realize they should now start to invest in people and care and grow believers. They are elders because they do those things. But further, over time, I'm sure you can think of members of the church who were and are spiritual 
fathers to you, some of them with us, some of them not anymore. I think of people like Paul Tack, who was a spiritual father to so many people here. They care deeply about your growth and deepening an understanding of God. They either led you to Christ or led you to know more about Christ and your identity in him. Some of you have been blessed because your biological parents have been your spiritual parents. Some of you, it's been elder men in the church who have come around you in difficult times and grown you. I want to bring this challenge to you, Christ Church, for those of you who are established believers. Always looking, always look to be invested in by a spiritual father and always look to be a father to others. Because that is how we show the kingdom of God and how we build God's church. And remember that a father's role is to love and support, but also to correct. If you don't like being told areas in your life for improvement, I would say you want a guide. You don't want a father. And to those of you who would aspire to be spiritual fathers, this isn't something you can earn. It's not a title you can gain. You cannot earn to become someone's father. It comes through that discipling role and that follow me attitude. Anyone who aspires to be a father, a steward, must first and foremost be a servant. And anyone who aspires to be like Christ must submit what we want for what he wants. And that is a great place to start. So I'm just going to pray for us. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you that you perfectly represent what it looks like to be a father. Thank you that when we look to you, we see a God who cares and loves his people, wants to be in relationship with his people, but who knows that his people often need a bit of a kick. And Lord, as we look to serve you and grow in who you are as your children, Lord, I pray that we would be excited to be spiritual family to each other. And Lord, that looks like submitting to your will and submitting to the identity of Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray over this week you would just bless this congregation and those at home. Lord, I pray that they would grow in a deeper knowledge of you, grow deeper in their knowledge of what it looks like to be your child and what it looks like to father and mother others. Amen.